And we are in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, you know, precursor to, to looking at this particular chapter, something that really, you know, I think about things quite a bit and I ponder certain subjects, you know, and sometimes, you know, my wife thinks I'm crazy. Because I can just sit in a chair or sit on the couch and just close my eyes. Sometimes I fall asleep. But I close my eyes and, you know, sometimes my eyes are wide open and I'm just in la-la land. Because I ponder certain things, you know. I dwell upon certain things. Not in a harmful way. But, you know, the things of like, you know, Holy Scripture. You, know, you spend time reading your Bible. You spend time in your Word. But then there comes a point in time when you meditate on the Word. And you think about these things. And, you know, it's like I've said it before, and I don't mean to sound crass and saying it like this, but, you know, it's like a cow. You know how a cow can, you know, sometimes you see a cow out on the pasture and it's chowing, you know, chowing down on the grass and it's eating. But then at night, something happens. Later on down the road, the cow doesn't have to eat again. It has all these chambers in its stomach and it regurgitates and it like eats again. It's like another meal, you know, and I don't mean to sound gross in saying that, but. You know, have you ever gone out to eat? Maybe you go out for brunch and you're so full. You're just so stuffed. And like you have like, you know, there's like some food on your plate still. And you're so stuffed. You're like, I can't eat this anymore. And then you're like, okay, I'm done. And then you go home and it's like later on that night. And you're like, man, I wish I would have ate that because you're hungry again. You know, well, a cow can regurgitate and just eat again. But for us, you know, we can't do that. Uh, and, but that's what we do with Holy Scripture. It's not, we don't read the Bible like literature where you get from, you know, from you read one chapter, two chapters, three chapters. It's good to read, but to meditate on what it is you're reading, to meditate and think upon these things and dwell upon these things. And that's what I was doing with Peter and John here in Acts chapter three. Think about Peter and John five years ago from this moment. Five years ago, they're. Today, like here in Acts 3, they're brothers in Christ. But five years ago, prior to this moment, you know, they didn't know Jesus Christ. They were fishermen. They're not brothers in Christ because they don't know who Jesus is. They would go to synagogue and maybe they heard about the Messiah. Maybe they heard, wow, you know, I know the, the rabbis, they say a Messiah is coming, but I don't know who he is. They would go to work and, you know, work on their family boats. And I don't know if they had all these ambitions. Wow, you know, I'm a fisherman kind of on the low end of society. But, you know, here I am a fisherman and I'm just going to blow up this business. Or, you know, maybe they were in the, the doldrums of life where it's like, man, you know, I'm just a fisherman. You know, and here I am, you know, I have all these ambitions, but because of my economic class, my stature, I can't afford to go to college. I can't afford higher learning. So here I am. I'm stuck as a fisherman. And it trips me out because I think about our lives, you know, prior to our interaction with Jesus Christ, prior to our meeting with Jesus Christ, prior to our divine appointment with Jesus Christ. And I think about you, I think about me. Five years ago, what was life like? Five years ago, what did you know about Holy Scripture? Five years ago, did you even know who Jesus Christ was? 
Maybe you heard of his name, but you didn't fall in love with his word. And remember, the word became flesh. And five years ago, here you have these two guys of different families. We looked at the life of John briefly. Remember, he was the son of Zebedee. And then, you know, one day, Jesus Christ is walking. He confronts these two guys and he says, hey, follow me. Come and follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets. They drop their nets. And the Lord tells to Peter, says to Peter, hey, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. It's so powerful to consider not just five years. I just threw out a number of five years. But it's so powerful to consider the course of three years. You know, what a difference a day makes in the hands of God. What a difference a year makes. What a difference a week makes. Remember in our study in the book of Matthew, when we got towards the end, you see Jesus Christ riding on a donkey and everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Less than a week later, they're saying, instead of save now, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. You know what a difference a week makes. And, you know, it blows me away because it's like, what about our lives? What is it that, you know, what is it that we can do in the course of a week? What is it that you and I can do in the course of a month, a year? You know, where, you know, maybe one minute we're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, save now. Where a week later or two months later or a year later or five years later, we're saying, crucify him. Or yielding to the Holy Spirit. Look what God can do. Look what God can do with these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men, Peter and John. It's now we're here in chapter three of Acts, and it's now a fulfillment of what the Lord told them, you know, several years ago. Three years ago, give or take, you know, a couple months. What the Lord told them when he says, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And that's what we see here in chapter three. They're actually fishers of men. Now look what happens here in verse one. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Example of what Jesus Christ did himself in his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ would go into the temple and teach. You know, and you know, it, 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 it blew away when Jesus Christ would go into the temple and teach. And he, he did this young. You know, it was such a trip because what would happen, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the rabbis, you know, they would have all this big wall that were like little shelves and they'd have to pull out the scrolls and they would roll out the scrolls on this big old table and they would start to read from the Torah. Jesus Christ, you know, at a very, very young age, you know, he would go into the temple and teach, except he didn't need to pull out the scrolls. He didn't pull out the scrolls and say, hey, look, what this is what Isaiah said. And, you know, let's read what Isaiah, what the book of Isaiah said. He didn't need to do that. He would just teach. And expand more and more and more upon Holy Scripture. And people would marvel. 
And now you have Peter and John. They're doing following that same model. They're going into the synagogue. They're going into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Think about what a commotion that alone would have started when, you know, all the rabbis are saying, hey, come on, we got to pray. It's the hour of prayer. And here you have Peter and John. And what they're about to do is give the good news. Except something happens. In verse two says, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb. This guy never walked before. From his mother's womb, the mother gave birth and, you know, the legs were, you know, messed up. Lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. You know, what blows me away is, you know, it, it's like he's a beggar is what they what he is. I don't know if it's his family, if it's his friends. That said, you know what, you know, we're going to carry you and we're going to lay you here. I mean, you see beggars nowadays, you know, you, you're at a stoplight and you, you see the, the beggars there. You know, and you know, beggars are opportunists. Where there's no traffic, you never see any beggars. But where there is high traffic, you see the beggars. You know, you see it in today's world, but then here you see it here in chapter 3 of Acts. This guy who couldn't walk, lame from birth, and all of a sudden, I don't know if it's his friends or family, but they pick him up, pick him up, and they lay him right at the gate that enters into the temple. The gate which is called Beautiful. You know, this is an area called Solomon's Porch. And, you know, it's in the area called the, uh, uh, um, the Court of the Gentiles. And it's at the entry point, and then you go in, and then you see, like, uh, the entrance into the, uh, the actual temple. Like, you know, we kind of talked about that on Wednesday, how you have, it's the tabernacle, what we talked about on Wednesday, but you have like the entrance into the holy place and then the holy of holies. But outside of all of that is the entry into the actual temple grounds. And that's where they took this beggar and they carried him and they put him here to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Quite the opportunist. Quite the opportunist. Because remember, the atonement for sins under the law, people would have to take their animals. We talked about that on Wednesday. People would have to atone for sins. So you have these people who want to be right with God. And they come with their animals. And then right when they enter the place, you have a beggar there asking for money. I mean, it's, it's kind of... The way I see it, it's kind of capitalizing on people's emotions. You know, somebody's already in a kind of a, they're not 100% spiritually speaking. They're at a, a lower state because they want to atone for sin in their lives. They want to be right in the eyes of the Lord. And here you have the opportunity of saying, you know, hey, give me some money. Give me some money. The way I see it, he's strategically placed there. Strategically placed there. Hey, you're going to make more money here. You're going to make more money for the family. You're going to make more money for our friends. But here, we're going to lay you down right here. And it's so beautiful what happens. You know, how the Lord moves and how he works through these people. And when I say these people, through Peter and John, who are now empowered and baptized by the Holy Spirit. They're different people. Peter denied Jesus Christ, you know. 
But that was in his an old nature. They're different. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They walked with Jesus Christ. They learned from him. I mean, if you consider yourself on a stairwell, say you're in a building, there's 30 stories, and you're at work in a building, and you know, you, you're on the 15th floor, and you want to go up to the 20th floor. Except you're not taking an elevator. You're in the stairwell. And so here you are on the 15th floor. You can look up and you see the stairs going up. Or you can look down and you see the stairs going down. Who in their mind would say, well, I want to get to the 20th floor. So I'm going to go down. Who says that? Nobody says that. And I'm not trying to imply that there is... carnal effort involved with growing in Christ. I don't want to imply that. But there are certain sacrifices that we make. You know, in Christ, in our position in Christ. The way I see it is, okay, so, you know, we're in Christ. And, you know, next year, next week, I want to know more about Jesus Christ. Next Year, I want all of us to know more about Holy Scripture. And since that's the case, it's like, okay, why would I, you know, start to do drugs? Why would I start to drink alcohol? Why would I start to beat on my wife or cheat on my wife? That's the way I see it. It's not a matter of, you know, okay, we got to do these efforts to earn grace. You know, grace is already, it's a gimme. We already have it. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, so I'm on the 15th floor. I want to get up to the 20th floor. Why would I even step, put one foot on, you know, this first step going down? Why would I even do that? And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, if, if I'm coming off, I, like, you know, you have to apply effort. You know, in some regard, you know, there is an amount of effort applied to our walk with the Lord and the effort is minimal. It's not like we have to go out and, you know, do all kinds of things, but surrender your life a living sacrifice. Surrender your body a living sacrifice. Instead of 20 minutes, you know, you have like a 30 minute show you want to watch on TV. It's like, okay, no, I'm going to put that remote down and I'm going to spend 30 minutes in the word. You know, I can do all these things, spend all this time over here, but no, I'm going to deny those things and spend time in the Holy Word. You know, and the Lord will teach you very personal in your own intimacy with Jesus Christ. You and Him, your heart, His heart. And it's you that says, no, Lord, I want to align with you. And you take your heart and you put it right here in the pages of Holy Scripture. That's what's so beautiful about this oneness and intimacy with Jesus Christ. You see it here with Peter and John. And it's not just Peter and John being filled with the Lord and being filled by his spirit and just saying, okay, I'm good to go. I got my ticket to heaven. No, it's now sharing the good news. Sharing the good news. And so here they are. They're going into the temple. They come to the gate and this beggar, this guy who's never walked before, his legs are all messed up from birth. 
And then all of a sudden he's, the, you know, they, you have this encounter. This guy who was strategically placed there to ask alms, as it says at the end of verse two, to ask alms. It's begging. And alms is like compassion for the poor. Strategically placed there to capitalize. In verse three says, who? Seeing Peter and John about to go to about to go into the temple, ask for alms. Money. Money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. I love it's so you know, in your mind's eye, you kind of like see like what's you see Peter and John walking up the steps, you know, to enter the door, the gate, which is called beautiful. Walking up the steps, they get there. And it's like all this hustle bustle. It's Jerusalem. Remember, Pentecost just happened. And in that time period, all these people, like, you know, when they started speaking in tongues and speaking in other people's language, you know, it's like the people were like, oh, these guys are just drunk. There's a house over there with a bunch of Christians. You know, they're just drunk. They're going crazy. And then Peter stood up. He says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. No, these people, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we want to tell you a message. That God loves you. And you know, we studied that last week is like in verse 37 of chapter 2. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. That's what you see in Genesis to Revelation. You see, the Lord, he says, repent, 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 return to me, return to me, return to me. You think there's, you know, in, in the span of humanity over the ages, you think God is trying to say something? When he takes all these prophets, he takes Isaiah, he takes Jeremiah, he takes Amos, he takes Joel. And he says, hey, I have a message I want you to tell my people. What's so powerful about these people, the prophets of old, you know, is like they were very, very, very unique people. They didn't go with the flow of culture. Dead fish go with the flow. But no, who are the fish who go, you know, the flow's going this way. Who are the fish who are going this way, going with the flow? It's a piece of cake to go with the flow. But who are the ones who turn around and go against that? That's who these prophets were. All these people, Isaiah, even, you know, like uh, 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 Jeremiah, you know, he was like, you know, Lord, you have all these people. Even Isaiah. Lord, you have all these holy people. Use them. Don't use me. Ezekiel, he says, Lord, use these people. Use the elders, the ones that work in the temple. Use the priests. And to Ezekiel, the Lord says, okay, Ezekiel, you think these guys are holy? Let me show you something. And he takes Ezekiel and he says, okay, look in this hole. He puts a hole in the wall. And he says, look in this hole in the wall. What do you see? And Ezekiel's there and he's looking in the hole in the wall. And he sees all the holy people, all the people who he thought were holy. The Lord is showing him. The Lord is showing them worshiping other gods, a lot of sexual sin. And the Lord's it's like, how can I use these people? How can I use these people? No, Ezekiel, I'm going to use you. 
I am calling you. And in Ezekiel, he's a different guy. He's not going with the flow. And then he goes back to the people and he says, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. That's what's happening here with John and Peter. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so now Peter, he looks down at this guy, this beggar, who's never walked before in his life. And he says, look at us. So he gave them his attention. You know, it, it kind of causes me to wonder. I'm like in a hustle bustle environment. I don't know if anybody's been to New York City before. Liz and I, we went to New York City, you know, in the financial district. It's there's so much energy in the air. Starbucks, you go get a Starbucks. It's like you place your order and less than five seconds. It's done. It's ready. It's like cabs, truck, the sidewalks are full of people. Everybody's got something to do. People, people to see places to go. It's so much energy. And, you know, it, it's a trip. Because what happens, it's like, you know, it's like you, you might see a beggar on the street. Not really focusing on one individual person, but just maybe has like a little cup out, you know. Just at, oh, you know, penny for the poor. Not really focusing on any particular individual, but just has a hand out, you know, a cup out. You might hear the little clanging of coins. Somebody drops in a quarter or somebody drops in their pocket change. Somebody puts a couple bucks in there. But the attention from the beggar is not really placed on a particular individual. But then all of a sudden, what happens here with Peter and John? It says in verse 5, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Wow, you know, here I've been asking for this money. I'm sitting here at the gate, which is called beautiful. I can't walk. And all of a sudden, I got these guys' attention. They have my attention. I have theirs. And wow, I'm going to get some money. Then Peter said, in verse 6, Then Peter said, you know, if I was a Catholic, the Lord rescued me from that cult. But if I was a Catholic, in accordance with Catholic doctrine, Peter, supposedly being the first pope, would tell the guy, hey, bow down and kiss my ring. But that's garbage. It's not taught in Holy Scripture. That's the doctrine of Roman Catholicism. Peter never said, supposedly Peter was the first pope. In accordance with Catholic doctrine. I shouldn't call Catholic doctrine Catholic doctrine. You know, it's a lie. And it's like, you know, Peter doesn't say here, kiss my ring. This is what he says in verse six, in accordance with Holy Scripture, not in accordance with the, you know, first Vatican Council, second Vatican Council. You know, take those books of the Vatican Councils and burn them, throw them in the trash. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you, you know, it. When God empowers a person, when God empowers you and when he empowers people he wants to use, it's not for our glory. 
It's for his glory. It's for him. It's not to say, wow, look how awesome I am. It's to say, wow, look what a piece of garbage I am and look how awesome the Lord is. And that's what happens. You have this beggar expecting to receive money. Peter says, we don't have any gold or silver, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Verse 6, this statement that Peter says, it's preposterous. It's a preposterous statement in the flesh. To the carnal, it's a preposterous statement. Why is this guy telling this beggar whose legs, he's a lame guy. He's never, he's lame from birth. And he's telling him to walk, rise up and walk. It's preposterous to the carnal. In verse seven, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, received strength. Translates as we're made strong. You say, okay, you know, logically, that's what it means to receive strength. We're made strong. So he leaped up. Remember, this is a guy who was lame from birth. Legs were never used. His form of mobility was on dirt. Maybe he had people that would pick him up and say, hey, let me help you. You know, remember in verse 2 that, you know, they lay daily at the gate of the temple. Maybe if it was a long distance, it's like, here, let me carry you this distance. Or if you ever go into a third world country, whenever you see people who are like lame and they can't walk, it's like they're pushing them in a wheelbarrow. They load them up in a wheelbarrow and that's kind of like their wheelchair. Maybe that's what his form of mobility. But what about if he was like, nope, I got this. And he would use his arms, you know, to kind of go on the ground. His, his legs are all messed up. His legs never walked before. And he would use his arms to go from one room to another room. And now look what's happening. He received strength. His legs, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped up in verse 8. Stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Walking leaping and praising God walking leaping and praising God you know what blows me away what would how would this look if Peter and John gave them some money how would it look if Peter and John said here here's some money here let me put this in your cup Remember, this guy was this lame guy, lame from birth. Picture his life as a kid. His friends would be running around playing soccer, playing baseball, playing football, playing whatever. They probably didn't have those back in the day. But just playing around, running around, playing tag. Hide and go seek. And here he is watching them. But then what about as a teenager? All his friends playing advanced sports. Going to prom. And here he is. He can't partake in any of those things. 
You know, his friends, he's an, an adult now. His friends are getting jobs. What can he do? He can't do anything. So no, his, his friends, family, whoever it is, they take him up and they say, hey, just be a beggar. Stay right here and just beg. And it blows me away because, you know, for such a time as this, he has an encounter with God's ambassadors. Ambassadors of Christ, Peter and John. For such a time as this, all his life, a young kid on the ground, walking around, maybe, you know, he was light, so it's easily, easy to be carried. But then now he's mature, he grows, he gets muscle. I don't you know, Liz used to have a friend, or she still has a friend, but, you know, it's, they, she moved to a different state. But she was, like, her legs were, like, she was, like, lame. She couldn't walk. Or she could walk, but she had the crutches. And she would walk with these crutches, these canes. And when, I met her one time, you know, and I shook her hand. She was tough. Her grip was like vice grips. Because her whole life she'd been, like, walking with these canes. Her forearms were gigantic. Her grip of her, her like, her grasp was, she'd be doing that her whole life. And she was probably like, you know, 120 pounds maybe. And I shook her hand and I was like, whoa, this lady is tough. So think about this guy walking around, you know, as a young kid, trying to get himself around. And for such a time as this, he has this interaction. Remember the blind man? In John chapter 9, there's a guy who's blind from birth. He can't see. And then the, the disciples, they ask Jesus Christ, they say, Lord, who sinned in his life? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus Christ says, neither. Neither him or his parents sinned. But it's for the works of God to be revealed in him. And you know, picture your own lameness. You know, you, you think about a guy who's crippled and can't use his legs, but think about your own life. What are those things in your own life? It's like, man, you know, everybody's doing, doing whatever, but I can't do and then fill in the blank. Everybody's doing this. They're having a gay old time. They're having fun. Everything's fine and dandy, but not me. I can't do fill in the blank. I can't run like this guy. I can't jump like this guy. I can't do this like this girl. I don't look like this. I can't speak like this. And every time you think about your imperfections, your failures, you know, what do, what do things look like in your life? Be very, very careful because comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Wow, I, I, I can't do this like this guy. I don't look like that. You know, it's kind of cool. As you get older, you start to realize how messed up your body is. Because it's like, man, you know, I used to be able to do this, but now I hurt. I can't do that anymore. You know, and it's like, you know, like, listen, I hate shopping for clothes. I can't stand it. I hate it with a passion. That's why, I, you know, a lot of times you'll see me wearing, like, this is what I look like. You know? But then Liz will get so fed up with a shirt or with a pair of pants or with this vest. You know, she'll get so fed up with it. And she'll be like, here, I got you this shirt. But, you know, we used to go to the mall together. And you'd look at the, the mannequin. Like, wow, that mannequin looks cool. Look at his shirt, his pants, you know. He's got this jacket. That looks cool. 
I want to look like that too. And so you get all the clothes, go into the fitting room, put it on. You look in the mirror and you're like, what in the world? I don't look like that. I look like a freak. And it's like, you got to be very, very careful with that. Because comparison is the thief of joy. You could be so, so very happy on cloud nine. And then all of a sudden you go on social media, you start to look at, you know, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. I don't know all the social media apps anymore. You know, you start to go on these things and you're like, wow, you know, my friend, look at my friend has got this cool car. Oh, look at this girl. You know, she takes these selfies, you know, and look how pretty she looks. I don't look like that. Or look at this guy. Look at his muscles. You know, he's at the gym and here I am eating my chips, you know. Be very, very careful with that because what you don't know is, you know, that girl who took her selfie, she took like a million pictures. And she picked out the one that was like the best out of a million. You know, it's like you look at the Instagram picture, you look at real life and it's like, what in the world? It doesn't look the same. Be very, very careful with comparison because comparison is the thief of joy. You know what Satan does when you start to think about your own lameness? And I don't mean to, you know, sound crass and say it like that. But what is it? It's like, man, you know, I can't do this. You think about your own imperfections. You think about your failures. And you know what Satan says? He says, you know what? I'll fix it. I'll fix it for you. I'll take your pain away. Here, take a drink of this. You know what? I'll take your pain away. Take a hit of this. You don't feel loved? I'll show you love. Here. You know, go out on a date with this guy. Go out on a date with this girl. I'll show you love. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. Satan, who was a murderer from the beginning. That's how Satan works. You know what Jesus Christ says? And I don't mean, you know, church as a social club. I mean Jesus Christ. The creator of all things, the author and finisher of your faith. The one whose very heart is captured in these pages. Remember, the word became flesh. That's the Jesus Christ I'm speaking of. When he'll take any situation, any heart... And he'll fix you. Just as he fixed these people. Just as he fixed Peter. Just as he fixed John. Just as he fixed you. And just as he fixed me. Turn with me to Matthew 23 really quick. In Matthew 23, verse 37, this is Jesus Christ. When you know the people, this is right before. Well, actually, you know, the people were shouting out, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. And that, you know, he says he's at Jerusalem. In verse 37, he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, 
but you were not willing. You were not willing. I can tell you times in my life, personally, it's not, it's not hearsay. By personal witness, where I wanted to be rescued by the Lord. The thought of being rescued by the Lord, it was so beautiful. The very thought of it. And I desired it. But you know what I desired more? Is alcohol. I desired whatever drink it was. I desired it more. And that's what I think about when I read these verses. I think about me. How often I wanted to gather your, your children together as a hand gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Your house is laid waste is how that translates. Have you ever talked to somebody who says, you know, like, man, you know, I got married and, you know, my husband used to love me and, you know, like whispered sweet nothings in my ear. And now look, he beats on me. Now look, he cheats on me. It's like, wow, woman, your house is left to you desolate. Your house is laid waste. Or you talk to, you know, a grieving grandparents who love their grandbabies so much. A lot of times, you know, I used to have these conversations with grand uh, grandmas, not the granddad, a lot of women. And they have such strong concern for their grandbabies. And it's like, wow, you know, the house is left desolate. Let's pray for these people. Or somebody who's caught up in that. You say, man, Jay, you know, that's really rich coming from you. You know, look at your dumb fellowship. You know, I can look at this church and there's a multitude of people. And I look at here and there's just like four. You know? It's really, really rich coming from you. And you know what? I'll give you that. It's true. There's this big place over here, big place over here, big place over here. But how does that change the truth of his word? How does that have any bearing whatsoever on the truth of God's holy word, Jesus Christ, and you? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. To say like, wow, Lord, look, I blew it. I made a mess of this. I made a mess of my life. Lord, forgive me. I repent before you. Repentance is such a beautiful thing. I talked to a guy once. A very, very major sexual sin. It was kind of funny too because he was like, you know, I'm so ashamed of this, Jay. I can't even tell you. I'm like, dude, you have to just, you know, you don't have to tell me, but, you know, let's talk about this. Plus, you know, I've probably done stuff worse than you. And he says, okay, let me tell you. He started telling me. I'm like, okay, that's pretty bad. That's way worse. And we started to have this conversation about grace and repentance. And, you know, he's like crying, you know. He's like, it sounds, it's too good to be true. I said, I know, that's grace. That's what grace is. G-R-A-C-E, 
God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the beauty of grace. Yeah, you blew it. But if you listen to the voice of Satan, if you listen to the voice of Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, he'll say, you think you're right with the Lord? Look at what you've done. Why don't you go jump off a bridge? Why don't you put a round in the chamber, hold it to your head, and squeeze the trigger? And Jesus Christ will say, it's okay. It's okay. Let me pick you up. Let me clean you up. Now walk with me. Jesus Christ cleans his own fish. He cleans his own fish. The question is, are you willing? It's a matter of your heart. That's what he's saying here. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It's beautiful. Repentance is, it sounds too good to be true, but you know what? It's very true. And so here you have Peter and John doing the exact same thing. You want to know why? Because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does the will of the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict anything of the Lord. And so here you have this guy who was lame from birth. Never walked before. He received strength in his legs, his feet, and his ankle bones. He leaped up, stood, and walked and entered the temple with them. Walk, walking, leaping, and praising God. You know, what if Peter and John gave them money? What if, what if they put in here, here's 50 bucks. Here's 100 bucks. Go buy yourself something. You know, it's not a matter of money. The currency of the world, you know, it's, there's a different kind of currency in the heavenly realm. There's a different kind of treasures in heaven. And that's what, you know, you take, like you get a paycheck, you know, say you get like, you know, a couple thousand dollars. And you go to the bank, you deposit in your bank. And you get some more money, you deposit in your bank and you see your bank account get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And bigger. Well, you know, there's a heavenly bank account too. And on this side of eternity, in this world, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. It will make you cry. It will break your heart. Sacrifices that you make for the sake of the Lord. And in this world, you might see your bank account getting less and less and less and less and less. But you know what's happening in the heavenly realm? Treasures in heaven, rewards in heaven. It's a totally different economy. Look at what happens now, going back to Acts chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. The former lame guy. The former lame man, now he has a witness for Jesus Christ. Officially, he has a witness for Jesus Christ. The old man versus the new man. Yeah, in my old nature, I was all messed up. I can't even walk. What about you in your old nature? In your old nature, maybe you were a crackhead. In your old nature, maybe you were an alcoholic. 
In your old nature, maybe you were addicted to pornography. In your old nature, fill in the blank. But you know what? That's the old man. That's the old woman. Who are you today? And can people witness it? Can people see you walking and praising God just like this lame guy? Praise be to the Lord. You see how he works? You see how he works? And all the people, they saw this guy. In verse 10 says, Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were, how it translates, they were dumbfounded and astonished. Intellectually, logically, impossible. When you apply logic and intellect to movings of the Holy Spirit, it's inexplainable. You will have wonder and amazement. Intellect will just deny it all and say, you know what? This is impossible. The absurdity of Peter and John to look down at a lame guy and say, hey, uh, 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 in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. To an adult male who's never walked before in his life to say, rise up and walk. Preposterous. But now you have these people that are witnessing it with their very own eyes. In verse 11, it says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, you know, the, the givers of this gift. And all of a sudden he holds on to John and Peter. All the people ran together to them on the porch, in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And I love this so much in the next verse here, in verse 12, because Peter and John, they deny themselves. They don't say, wow, look how awesome I am. Look how holy I am. Look at this gift that I did. No, they give it all to the Lord. Peter and John are like, hey, we're nothing. It's the Lord. We're not the givers. He says in verse 12, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so, why do you, or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk? They're like, why are you looking at us? Why do you think it's our power or godliness? You know what happens today? People take their selfies. They like their, you know, they get their selfie sticks out. Oh, look, I'm putting a hundred bucks in this cup for this homeless guy. Here to, and then you, they take the little videos. Oh, I'm going to go viral. Look how awesome I am. I'll take a $20 bill. Hey, everybody, look at my video, my $20 bill. And watch me. Here, look, I'm putting it in this cup. Look how awesome I am. And then they'll walk away and they'll have a little video of them reading the Bible, you know. And, they, you know, they talk in their rock star voice. They make sure their hair is perfect for the camera. It's all for show. It's all for show. It's all for them to be glorified. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Peter and John. Hey, don't look at us. It's not my power. It's not my godliness. They give glory to the Lord. 
You know, that's, that's a little tip on how we can identify false teachers. When these false teachers say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. But the ambassadors of Christ will say, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Look at the Lord. That's what I love so much about John the Baptist. His disciples, John the Baptist, because, you know, before Jesus Christ started his earthly ministry, John the Baptist was preparing the way of, of the Lord in fulfillment of what the prophet Joel says, or what he prophesied. And the disciples of John, they were kind of confused a little bit. Well, you know, we love you, John, but what do we do? We're your disciples, but here's this, this guy. And I don't mean any respect to say this guy. They were speaking about the Lord. What do we do, John? And John says, you know what? I'm nothing. Go to him. Go to Jesus. He must decrease. I must decrease. Me? Nothing. Jesus Christ? Everything. Go to him. And so Peter, he says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. We studied that a couple weeks ago. When Pilate, you know, he has Jesus Christ here and he has Barabbas and he asks the people, who do you want? And they cry out, give us Barabbas. And then he takes his hands and says, okay. My hands are clean from this. Give us Barabbas. In verse 14, you know, in continuing in this, he's giving the good news. But, you know, it's, it's quite the indictment what he says. Peter says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. It's a heavy, heavy indictment. He's not saying, hey, I heard this Jesus Christ rose again. He's saying, I saw it with my own eyes. He rose from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Turn with me really quick to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Really quick. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God, has al God also has highly exalted him. Speaking about Jesus Christ. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Remember, the name Jesus Christ, it's... Joseph and Mary didn't sit down and oh, what should we name this child? That never happened. The angel Gabriel told Mary, hey, you're going to name this baby Jesus. And then another angel, it doesn't specify it was Gabriel. I suspect it was Gabriel. But another angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream in Matthew 1 and says, you're going to name this baby Jesus. This name Jesus was given to, by God our Father. 
So Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, the very, very name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every, every knee should bow. I'll tell you guys a little story. Say all of us here were enlisted in the military. I won't specify a branch, but you know, say we're all enlisted. We're all on the same fire team because we're a small, say we're in the same platoon and we're all enlisted. We're not officers. There might be a private, there might be a lance corporal, there might be a corporal and a couple sergeants, but we're all in the room. And say, for example, a lieutenant walks up. The very first person that sees a lieutenant walk in the door would stand up and say, attention on deck. And every single one of us would stand up at attention. And then the officer, the lieutenant would say, at ease. And then we can sit back down again. The lieutenant walks in, you know, somebody comes up, says attention on deck. You know, and it's like, okay, the lieutenant, and then he goes into his little back office. And then say, for example, a captain comes in. And some of the first one who sees him says, attention on deck. Everybody comes up to the position of attention. The respect for the authority of the captain. If the captain doesn't say, you know, at ease, everybody just stands at the position of attention. The captain says, at ease. And we all just kind of resume our whatever we're doing. And then say, for example, another lieutenant walks in. You don't have to say attention on deck because there's a captain, a higher rank. So that lieutenant who walks in might, you know, might expect to hear attention on deck, but he doesn't get it because there's somebody in higher rank in the room than him. So nobody says attention on deck. And that's how it is. You place very high uh, 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 respect for authority for whoever that rank is merited. So say there's now a captain and then say like a full bird, bird colonel walks in the room. Higher in command authority. Somebody says attention on deck. You know, one time there was a private who played a joke. You know, another private walked in. He says, attention on deck. Everybody stood attention. He's just a private. And that guy got thrashed. You know, that guy got thrashed. Never happened again after that, after that thrashing. But it's respect for authority. You know, if a colonel walks in and nobody says anything, he, the colonel knows, wow, there must be a general here. A general somewhere on the premises, a general is in the room. Respect for authority. And it's like, that's, that's the command structure. That's how it was for me. You know, I don't know. I can't speak about other, you know, people, but that's how it was for me. And verse 10 here says that at the very, very name of Jesus, the very name, every knee should bow of those in heaven. Notice the angelic realm. Of those in heaven and of those on earth, that's us today, and of those under the earth. You know, when we read Revelation, we just got done with our study in Revelation. I shouldn't say we just got, but a while ago. Even like the sea creatures would glorify the Lord. 
of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, a question I have to ask of all of us, myself included. What happens at the name of Jesus in your life? The very utterance of his name, what happens? Is it just, eh, no big deal. Some people curse and use the Lord's name in vain. And they say expletive, you know. But you know, one day, one day, every knee should bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now let's go back to Acts. Acts chapter 3. This is Peter. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. The people are like, wow, how did this happen? In verse 16, he says, and his name, speaking about the name Jesus Christ. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Remember, Peter didn't just say, rise up and walk. In verse 6, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus And so look what happens here in verse 16. He says, yes, the faith which comes through him. Now, a lot of Calvinists, they'll say, see, you can't believe anything at all unless Jesus Christ makes you believe. That's in accordance with Calvinism. But if you remember what scripture says in Ecclesiastes 3, how eternity is written on our hearts. And then at the same time in Romans 12 How a measure of faith is given to every man. You and me, babies even, are created with a certain measure of faith. Have you ever talked with a 20-year-old about heavenly things, about Jesus Christ? And then, you know, they might grasp certain concepts and praise be to the Lord. But they might cuss you out and say, you know what, I don't want to hear any of that. But then have you ever talked with a 5-year-old about heavenly things? And it's so beautiful to see a five-year-old like, wow, God loves me. Wow, God loves his creation. He made the animals, all these beautiful animals, the giraffes, the elephants. He made a boat for them. And Noah and his family, yes, he did. And he does it for you too. Jesus Christ. And you talk to a a young child about Jesus Christ. And it's like, wow. It's like their faith is like off the charts. And that's what Peter is saying here. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of, of you all. In the presence of you all. This perfect wholeness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and be converted. This word for conversion, to be converted, is to repent and revert and return to God. 
It's not just to say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. It's to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. And then turn around to revert back. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And this word for refreshing is in the Greek, revival. So that times of revival. Personally speaking, personally speaking for you and for me, it's an, uh, an improvement in the condition of strength. This revival that can happen with Jesus Christ. Or a revival that has happened in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, it's not just to say, oh, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. And then we continue in sin. It's to say, no, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I made a mess of it. I blew it royally. And I, you know, I, I surrender my life to you. And he'll fix you. As surely as the Lord lives. He will, there's no problem too big for the Lord. If there's ever a moment in your life where you think, man, I blew it so royally that this problem is too big. Don't forget that, you know what? He made the sun. Don't forget that he made the earth. Don't forget that he makes the waves crash. Don't forget these things. So that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Remember, you know, there's a big, big difference between presence and presence. You, you know, we're at Christmas time. What's better? You tell me what's better to sit on your couch and to see this Christmas tree in your living room or family room or wherever it is. And you have all these presents around the Christmas tree. And every single one of the presents has a little sticker on it with your name on it. And all those presents are for you. What's better, that? Or are you looking to your left and sitting right next to Jesus Christ? What's better? If you say the gifts are better, I would say, well, you know, let's read the Bible a little bit more. Because the gifts are beautiful. I'm not trying to say that the gifts aren't. But far much, far way more beautiful is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. In verse 20, he says, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before. Same message. Remember, the same message where, you know, where he, this message of Jesus Christ was preached to the people before. But now the people are in a different heart. They're pierced to the heart. The disciples are also different. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. In verse 21 says, Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration. This restoration translates as restitution. Restitution. It's restoration of something lost or stolen back to the original owner. Say, for example, if you, know, you have a, uh, an expensive bracelet you have an expensive bracelet and i steal it i steal it from you and they say it's like a five thousand dollar bracelet you know and then so you're like wow you know i gotta go to small claims court you know jay pay me back or give it back and i say no it's like okay i'm gonna sue you now and so we go to small claims court 
You, you make your argument before the judge. Yeah, you know, this guy, I had him over. We had a Coke together. We talked. He said he was going to go to the bathroom. And then, you know, I saw him put my bracelet in his pocket. And then he walked away. And the judge says, you know, did this happen? And I say, yeah, it did. I'm sorry. Okay, give it back. No, I, I sold it. I pawned it off. Okay, now you have to make restitution. It's valued at $5,000. Now I have to write you a check for $5,000. I have to make restitution. And that's what's happening here in verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration or restitution of all things. What does that mean? Lost. All these people who are lost. Lost. And Jesus Christ, there's a time of restoration, restitution. Remember, paradise lost. You read, you know, Genesis, you read about Eden. Paradise is lost. But then you get to Revelation and what do you see? Paradise. Remember the thief on the cross? Where he tells another thief, he says, you and I, we're dying here because we committed sin. We're guilty. But this guy with us, Jesus Christ, he's innocent. And they're all three are on a cross. And then he turns to Jesus Christ and he says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus Christ says, you know, to, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. Paradise for that man on the cross. Paradise gained. Can you imagine being on your like your dying breath and hearing the Lord say, today you will be with me in paradise. That like music to my ears. Today I will be with you in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's what Jesus Christ says to every single one of us who believe. You will be with me in paradise. It might not be, you know, today. It might be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be for another 20 years. But this restoration of all things in verse 21 says, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Remember Genesis to Revelation. As soon as paradise is lost, God starts using people and says, hey, tell them to repent. Noah, who was a, 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 a Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. Telling all the people around him about the Lord. You know, Isaiah, uh, 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 Joel, Amos, all these people, Peter and John, you and me, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Remember in John 5, you know, the Pharisees, they thought they were hardcore. They're like, you know, we're of Moses. We're not going to believe what you have to say. We're of Moses. We're hardcore. We follow the law. And Jesus Christ told them, Moses wrote about me. But since you reject what Moses wrote, you'll reject what I say. Moses wrote about me. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet 
shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, also have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So now the multitude of people hearing this message, they're all in wonderment and astonishment. This guy who was lame from birth, all of a sudden he's leaping for joy. He's on two feet now. And the hearers of this message of Peter, they're at a fork in the road. What do I do with this message? Do I receive this message and, you know, turn away from my sin, turn away from my iniquity as this guy is exhorting me to do? Do I repent, therefore, and be converted that my sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, as this guy says? Or should I continue on with my crack? Should I continue on with my pornography? Should I continue on with my alcohol? These same people who are at a fork in the road, in the valley of decision, the same people, you and me are in the valley of decision. Just like that stairwell. I want to get to the 20th floor. Do I go up or do I go down? Do I go up or do I go down? You say, well, you know, we're under grace. We're under grace. Yeah, we're under grace. We are under under grace. But let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of, God, right hand of the throne of God. You see, that's how good the Lord is. That's how good the Lord is in turning away every one of us from our iniquities. And you know what blows me away so much? You know, we're not going to get into it right now. But right now, opposition comes. We're going to study it more next week. But opposition comes. Opposition comes. The priests, the Sadducees, they come upon them. Isn't it very interesting how Satan works? I mean, I remember, you know, when, you know, I was a little younger in age. I could have been a Buddhist. You know, I had friends that were Jehovah's Witnesses. I had friends that were Mormons. I had friends that were all kinds of different religions. And if I said, you know what, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. No big deal. If I said, you know what, I'm a Buddhist. Um, uh, I'm a Hinduist now. I'm of the Baha'i faith. Nobody would have thought, and it'd be like no big deal. Okay, you know, we'll still hang out. We'll still be friends. We'll do all these things. But the very second I say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, I don't mean to be, you know, rude in saying it like this, but all hell breaks loose. All hell broke loose because the name of Jesus Christ. 
You could say, oh, I'm a Buddhist now. People are like, oh, cool, that's, that's fine. Oh, I'm a Hindu now. Okay, no big deal. But the very second you say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, hell will break loose in your life. You know why? Because Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to kill you. Look at what happens here in verse in chapter Luke chapter 8. Turn with me really quick in closing to Luke chapter 8. Jesus Christ is speaking in parables now. And he says this in Luke 8 verse 5. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up, sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But then something else happened. The disciples, they go to the Lord and they say, in verse 9 says, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it has been been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables. That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And then Jesus Christ starts to teach his disciples exactly what this parable means. And this is what it means. He says this in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see what I'm saying? The very, very second I proclaimed Jesus Christ in my life, all hell broke loose. I could have said to friends, family, cousins, aunts, uncles, I'm a Buddhist now. No big deal. I could have said, you know what? I'm Hindu, you guys. No big deal. But then I say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Look at what happens now. Because it's spiritual warfare. Remember, there's no name under heaven like Jesus Christ. There's power in his name, as we read in Philippians 2. That therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on on earth and of those under heaven. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People today think it's crazy. But you know what? Satan, demons, they know it. They know and they fear. The very second you proclaim Jesus Christ, you have a big target on your back. You know why? Because as it says here in verse 12 of Luke 8, Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, Receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while. And in times of temptation fall away. So you have people who believe just for a little while. 
flies in the face of Calvinism. Calvinism that says, hey, once you're saved, you're always saved. You could be 10 years old, believe in Jesus Christ, come up to the pulpit, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, only if, you know, only if you're of the elect. And then you're 20 years old and you're prostituting your body. Once saved, always saved. No, Calvinism is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. He says here, and these have no root who believe for a while and in times of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You know, it's being a baby forever. You know that concept of, you know, you're on the 15th floor and you want to get to the 20th floor? You might not go down, but what if you stay exactly where you're at? You're right there in the stairwell and you want to get to the 20th floor. But you stay right there where you're at on a little tiny platform. There's no maturity. That's also not a good thing. That's what happens when we're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see, that's how the Lord works. And just as we have in our study here in the book of Acts chapter 3, you know, it's like, The message is given by Peter. He says, having raised in verse 26, having raised up his servant, Jesus sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So here you have this big multitude of people in the valley of decision. And what happens? Satan. Satan and his workers. They come and they try to take away that seed. Such is the case with all of us. It's spiritual warfare. It's a battle. And it's a battle for souls. So we're going to end our study here. And next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up in Acts chapter 4. Let's...